The Romans, you might remember from history lessons, were a polytheistic people. So they, they didn't just worship one god, but they worshipped many gods, a whole pantheon of them. There were the big hitters, you might know some of them like Mars, the god of war, Jupiter, the king of the gods, and, and Juno, queen of the gods. And then there were some uh, lesser known ones that might have been the god of a particular place or a particular thing. So um, some that I found in my research were uh, Melania, the god of the bees. That's quite nice, isn't it? Um, or Stercolinus, who was the god of fertilizer, um, which is the kind of bottom of the list, isn't it, of the, the god jobs. Um, but one of the more popular ones was a guy called Janus, who was the god of doors and gates. And, uh, and Janus had two heads. You might have seen a statue of him. Um, he's got two heads and they're looking in opposite directions. And, and as well as being the god of doors and gates, he's more metaphorically the, the god of sort of beginnings and endings, of, of transitions. So you can see why he has two heads looking kind of forwards and backwards. And in our Western calendar, we, we probably named a month of the year after him, uh, January, which is like the door of the year. Um, and just as uh, January is our way into the year, our, our access point of the year, a door is an access point, isn't it? Um, but a door goes two ways, unlike January, which just goes in one direction, unless you're time traveling. And this, this kind of idea of two-way access is what Jesus really means when he says, I am the gate. So we're continuing our look through the seven I am statements that Jesus makes in John's gospel. And they're, they're statements where he's, he's really recalling um, something that God said to Moses centuries earlier. Uh, he, he told Moses to tell the Israelites to call him I am. And uh, that, that was to do with his, him being eternal and unchanging. And when Jesus uses this formula, what he's really doing is naming himself to be that God uh, and trying to describe to us uh, his identity in the process. And he does this by using pictures rooted in everyday life. So we've, we've looked so far at, uh, I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. And now in chapter 10 of John, Jesus sets up this metaphor involving sheep. Now the imagery of sheep and shepherds was a really familiar one to a first century Jew. Um, the, the Old Testament is littered with references to sheep and shepherds. And uh, you might remember recently we just uh, did a little series. Uh, Ian Jones led us through Psalm 23, where King David, who was a shepherd in his early years, uh, kind of sees himself as a sheep under the, the loving care of God as his shepherd. So God often compares his people to sheep uh, and gives the title of under-shepherd to those who he's entrusted with their care. But later on in the Old Testament, God calls out these shepherds of Israel, the priests and the leaders, who instead of tending to their sheep were, were exploiting them for their own personal gain. For example, the, the prophet Ezekiel brings them this rebuke from God. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Shouldn't the shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with wool and slaughter the choice animals. 
but you do not take care of the flock. And so as Jesus begins this metaphor, we fully expect him to declare that he is the good shepherd. But before we get there, Jesus places himself in the story in, in a bit of a, a stranger uh, place. He says in all seriousness to those listening, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the gate or, or I am the door, your version might say. And he's the gate because he provides access to the sheep. And he provides access to the sheep in two directions. He provides access in to the, the safety of the sheepfold and he provides access out into the, the, um, the rich pasture, the abundance of the pasture. So let's start with the access in. During the day, the sheep would, uh, they would roam around with their shepherd in the pasture. They would enjoy grazing and being uh, led by still waters. But at night, they would be uh, led by the shepherd into the sheepfold, uh, which was probably a stone structure and, and it might have had many flocks in from different shepherds. Um, but it was basically a place that they could uh, be kept safe from the dangers that come in the night. You know, wolves, bears, um, whatever wild animals were, were around. Um, yeah, basically when they're in the fold, they're protected, they're safe, they've got no worries. So with this in mind, Jesus announces twice that he is the gate, he's the entryway into the sheepfold. So first in verse 7, I am the gate for the sheep, he says. And then in verse 9, he explains further, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. God, as the, the true shepherd of his sheep, has a sheepfold. He has a place of complete safety and protection. We might call it God's kingdom. And we need a way into that fold because in our natural state, we're outside of it. We've rejected God's loving rule. We've run away from the shepherd gone our own way and in our arrogance have decided that really there's no danger for us to worry about therefore we're separated from God we're his enemies we no longer enjoy the security of his care and so if we want that safety we need a way back in and Jesus says that he is that way many people came before him claiming to be a messiah but Jesus says they're all just pretenders. None of them are the way in. He alone is the way in. I am the gate. He isn't one among many different gates, but he is the one gate, the one access that we have to God. This was a, a controversial thing for him to say, really. The Jewish leaders of the day were, were hugely offended by it. We read a minute ago, chapter 9, um, where Jesus healed a blind man. Um, he'd been blind from birth. Jesus healed him, did an amazing miracle, and this guy dared to become a follower of Jesus. And so what did the Pharisees do? They, they basically excommunicated him. Said, that's it, you're out. They wanted the power to decide who's in and who's out. And, and Jesus seemed to be taking that power away from them. 
The Romans didn't like this either about Jesus. This was a, a pluralistic culture. Um, everyone's own path was seen as equally true, equally valid. And that's pretty familiar, isn't it? It sounds nice. And the claim that there is there is just one way to God and that all other attempts to get to God are, are doomed to fail makes us pretty uncomfortable sometimes. It can be seen as bigoted, as narrow-minded, exclusionary. But this is exactly what Jesus claims about himself. He doesn't say that he's a signpost pointing the way. He doesn't say he's, he's a map to get there or, or even like a path leading up to the gate. But he is the gate. There might be many signposts. There might be many maps. But a sheepfold only has one gate. So we've got two options. We can either accept that Jesus is who he says he is, the one gate, the one way to God. Or else we've got to reject him entirely. And really the fact that we cringe a bit at saying that Jesus is the only way shows that we're looking at this back to front. The surprise here is not that God has only provided us with one way, but that he has provided us with a way at all. See, this way is, it's not just God clicking his fingers and then it's, you know, the way is opened. It took the death of his son on the cross. Creating this access point cost Jesus everything. So if there was another way, well, why bother? But notice too how inclusive this way is at the same time. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Jesus is promising that through him, anyone, anyone, me, you, the blind man who is no longer blind, even the self-righteous Pharisees could enter into God's kingdom through Jesus. One of the great things about living uh, around here is that you've got easy access to the Peak District. And um, me and my wife, Hannah, like to go on walks from town to town. And uh, one of the things that we struggle with when we're there is opening gates. I don't know if you've had this. Maybe it's just us. Maybe we're a bit bit dim. Um, but there seems to be a different mechanism for every gate that you come across. And you've got to kind of work out, oh, how do we how do we open this gate? You know, there's the, the simple little latch. There's those big levers that you have to pull across. There's... Um, yeah, there's like ropes that are just tied around the post. Um, yeah, all kinds of things. It pro probably just does. But the point is that the mechanism for opening each of these gates. So what is the mechanism? How do we get through Jesus into the safety of the sheepfold? When Jesus hears about the blind man being thrown out of the temple, he goes and finds him and he asks him a simple question. Have a look down if you've got your Bible open at chapter 9, verse 36. Jesus asks, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him.
This is the mechanism for getting through the gate. Believing in Jesus. Trusting that he is the one who will get you to the other side. Now, the, the sheep enjoying the safety in the fold are not restricted to the fold. And Jesus is not just the access into the safety of the fold. He is also the access out into the abundance of the pasture. Let's pick up Jesus' words halfway through chapter 10, verse 9. There the sheep will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Although the fold provides safety, the sheep wouldn't want to be there the whole time, would they? It would be boring, it would be claustrophobic. They'd, they'd pretty soon run out of grass and get hungry. Now, I don't know exactly what life to the full means for a sheep, but I'm pretty sure it's not that. But this can be the idea that some people get about Christianity as well, isn't it? It's like when you become a Christian, it's, it's all about giving things up. It's all about thou shalt not. Basically, once you're in, life becomes dull, restrictive. You might have heard comments from younger people who want to go and enjoy life first and then think about Jesus later because it'll just spoil my fun. Or maybe you've come across people who reject the gospel because eternal life just sounds really boring. It can be the mindset some Christians have as well, that, that somehow right next to godliness is like seriousness and dullness. But Jesus says that couldn't be further from the truth. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I think this translation to the full is actually a bit of an understatement. Some versions translate it abundance or, um, or like rich and satisfying life. But even those don't quite go far enough. The original word is like, it has this idea of like overabundance, of superabundance. Of, it's like excess. It's more than we need. Let's come back to the prophet Ezekiel, who rebukes Israel's under-shepherds for exploiting and harming the sheep. But in that same chapter, in chapter 34, he also makes some beautiful promises to the sheep. This is from, from chapter 34. I will tend them in a good pasture. Sorry, this is, uh, this is God making these promises through Ezekiel. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will make them and the places surrounding my hill a blessing. I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. The trees will yield their fruit, and the ground will yield its crops. The people will be secure in the land. I will provide for them a land renowned for its crops. This is not a God who is, who is stingy, who wants us to be dull, who wants to say, do not, do not, do not. This is a God who gives us access through Jesus to, to a land of plenty, a land of provision. This is not the best you can dream of, but it's even better than that. It's better than you can possibly even imagine. What does this new, new level of life look like then? Well, throughout John's Gospel, Jesus refers to this kind of life as eternal life. 
And in chapter 17, it gives us a help, helpful definition. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So eternal life, superabundant life, next level life, is not about uh, like having wealth or fame. It's not even about like achieving your dreams or fulfilling your potential or anything like that. Living life to the full is having relationship with God. He is the life giver, the very source of life. And he wants us to share in that life. It makes me think of those adverts for bottled water. You know, they, they always make sure that you know that this water is bottled at source. Now, I don't know exactly what that, why that's supposed to be good, but there, there's something about purity, isn't there? It's, it's, it's the best bottled at source. It's, it's pure. It's the best. It's, it's, um, it's not lost anything on its journey to you. But we have access to the source, the source of life, God himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is, is overflowing with life. He's a spring that never runs dry, a, a pasture that is permanently green. He's a tree that is forever yielding more and more fruit. Our sin cuts us off from this. But Jesus, the gate, provides us with access back into this relationship. He's inviting us to come this way and feast and notice as well how Jesus sets himself against those who would steal and kill and destroy which is clearly a dig at the Pharisees who are listening but human history records an unending succession of, of people of movements of political parties philosophies that have promised utopia but have failed to deliver and more than that, I've ended up doing great harm to people. Why? Because in our sin, people are generally very good at looking after number one and trampling over others who get in their way. And, and particularly if we have the power to do that without repercussion. This was just how the religious leaders of Jesus' day operated. They promised people forgiveness of sin through the sacrifices, but then they charged exorbitant prices for, for people to buy their animals in the temple. They threw anyone out who challenged them in the synagogue. And what did they do to Jesus when he called them out on their hypocrisy? They killed him. But Jesus did the total opposite, didn't he? He gave up what was rightfully his for those who didn't deserve it. He laid down his life for, for our sake to give us access to super abundant life. He promises us more than we can imagine and he suffers more than we can imagine to achieve it for us. Okay, so you might be asking at this point, I'm a Christian. I trust in Jesus. So why do I not feel like I have life to the full? It's true that, that as Christians we can feel this disconnect between what is really true, the fact that we have access to God, access to this life, and our actual day-to-day -day experience. 
And in one sense, that's that's very normal. That is part of the Christian life. We live in a sin-spoiled world. We're not going to know the full uh, measure of this, um, not even in part until we're in heaven. But that shouldn't stop us experiencing a little bit of what this is like right now. But sometimes I think it, it doesn't feel like we have this abundant life because we just don't go and get it. At least I know I don't sometimes. Instead of standing at the gate, we need to run through it. We need to go out into the pasture. We need to go and graze. We need to go and enjoy that relationship that we have with God. Trying to live life to the full without, uh, without investing in our relationship with God through Christ is like trying to power a plane with a with a double a battery you're not going to get very far with that we'll end up dissatisfied and wanting more more than what jesus seems to offer we can start looking elsewhere for things to to satisfy us and and, and give us that feeling of living life to the full but nothing can offer what jesus does Jesus said, I am the gate for the sheep. The way in to safety and the way out to abundant life. He provides us with access to both complete safety and to life to the full. The sheep in one sense have to choose. They have to choose whether they're in the fold or out in the pasture. But we don't have to choose. When we go through the gate, we go both ways at once. Trust in Christ. Take refuge in him. Listen to his voice. He cares for you. And he died so that you could have access to God. To the eternal safety and protection of his sheepfold. And to the abundant rich life out in his pasture if you've never taken hold of jesus and, and, and got access to this safety and life to the full do it today and if you have then keep doing it run through that gate run through into safety run through into pasture into life to the full Hook yourself up to the source. Invest in your relationship with God through Christ. And, and keep doing that each day. Amen.